This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, this is BFM 89.9, 6 o'clock in the morning, 18th of May 2022. I'm Kusu Chong with uh, Tan Chen Lee and Philip C. I don't see you guys for a few days and uh, you I come miss back us? and I miss you. A, B, look, you look very fresh. C, you look very well rested. What's going Do on? I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I came back from Bangkok, so I was quite Bangkok, happy about that. Fantastic. I loved it. I, I had Bangkok. very little sleep last night. Why? So if I look uh, not bad, that means my makeup skill is quite alright. Well done. <laughs> Why did you not sleep so well? Uh, it's always that way. Whenever I have to come on air, we came at 4 a.m. Same, same, uh, same, 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 same. Right? Yeah, 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 it's yeah. tough. And then you, you just kind of refuse to go to bed early somehow. <laughs> what time do you go to bed usually? Uh, can I not say it on air? <laughs> <laughs> okay, 1 a.m. then. No, not that bad. <laughs> no good, lah, both of you. You should rest, you know. Uh, Matthew Walker says it's very good for you. Well, you should rest early too and I, not I, sleeping at Well, 11. you know, older people tend to require less sleep, <laughs> so maybe he's fine with four hours. Yeah, we should do that, Phil, you and I. <laughs> yeah, exclude me, please. <laughs> Today is Wednesday. It's a very important day. We've got a lot of, a lot of stuff lined up. So we're going to kick off proceedings with a 7.15 discussion on um, the Prime Minister's visit to Washington. We're going to chat with uh, the political economist, Dr. Koyu. Yes, because we yesterday we had a conversation with Alina Noor about the whole ASEAN-US summit, right, uh, that was hosted in Washington. But today we're going to deep dive further on the proposed working committee with relation to labour issues, because that's a really huge contentious issue between Malaysia and the United States. So that's a follow-up from the conversation that took place yesterday. And then at 7.30, we discussed the political and economic situation in Sri Lanka with Dr. Chulani Atanayiki, research fellow at the National University of Singapore. It, it must be pretty dire, right? Because it's they, very... They got one month left of petrol in the country. No, one day. day. So one day. Sorry, one, one day. It means what? Today is going to run out? So they got to go back to elephants? Because they do, right? Elephants. No, I'm, ser- I'm serious. I'm serious. They do. Maybe. I don't but know. They I think the elephants in the town centre. What struck me was they're trying to sell the airline as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. Should but, we buy it, Phil? No, thank you. <laughs> but at 7.45, we also discussed the backlash against short-term rentals and how policy discussions are taking shape with real estate agent Chan Ai Cheng. That's really a huge development and speech going on for quite time, especially if markets reopen. You know, Airbnbs and all these rentals for one day, two days. There's been a bit of crackdown on that area. Absolutely. So a packed day ahead for all of us. Uh, so stay tuned and be with us for the next three hours. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, Major Revival with uh, Delta Lady by Joe Cocker and before that, Dreamboat Annie by Heart. Recent songs, in other words, not. (laughs) (laughs) It is 6 or 8 in the morning and uh, we've chosen the story. It's very interesting because the job market is alive and well Mm -hmm. with the economies reopening. And this story from Bloomberg um, is a very profound and very interesting question because it asks Mm. of people who read this article, what is the best question to ask a job applicant, right? And the question they are posing here is this. What are the open tabs on your, on your browser right now? And I, I find that to be very interesting. Really? Yes, yes. I think it's an excellent question. Yeah, yeah. It reflects you in a very subtle way. Yeah. Uh, and, and it shows many things, right? How many tabs you have opened, the types of tabs you have mm-hmm. opened, mm-hmm. how long they've been open for. Yeah. It, and it, and, and other preset tabs, right? Exactly. It yeah. reveals a lot about yourself. So I will ask both of you, what are your open tabs right now? It depends on which device. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll start first. Okay, I have right. 10 tabs open, which reflects how scattered-brained I am. And it is true, if I look at my 10 tabs, at the moment, to be honest, they are quite boring tabs because two are Gmail-related. One, two Bloomberg tabs, one Guardian, one BBC, <laughs> two Word documents, <laughs> one PDF file, which really, I think, when I look at the tabs, goes to show how boring I am as an individual and person and how work-centric I am. 
Okay, if, so that that so to a job uh, interviewer, that that indicates that you're quite one-dimensional, right? Yes, which can be bad or which can be good, depends on how they. It's how you frame role. it, right? Is yeah. he a dedicated person or is he going to be overly focused on overly work? Overly focused very, on work. Yeah, he he might give 120 percent at work, but he might burn out early. Do exactly. you know what I mean, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that it's also reflective of uh, your personal personality over and over exactly what you do over the weekend as well. So I think that's also what the article or what the question is is uh, intended for. So they want to fish out uh, the more real you <laughs> instead of, you know, you're saying, okay, I know how to do programming C++, but do you actually look at C++ related programming articles uh, or information about it over on your personal yep. time, right? So yeah. that's that's actually what the question really wants to ask. It is interesting that perhaps nowadays we always talk about skills and that skills are tend, tend to be overrated because if you don't have the attitude to build the evolving and new skills, that's, I think, the bigger loss. Yeah, that's right. And if it, I think that the articles talk about uh, how many tabs you have open and that shows, it, it might show that you are you have a lot of curiosity and a maybe internet fluency, but it can also mean that you have insufficient prioritization and poor organization. So I am guilty of it because I have like 50 over tabs open in my phone. (laughs) In your phone? Yeah. What kind of phone do you have? Um, Well, well, it can... Very fast phone, I'm sure. Well, I I don't know. I have like uh, some travel-related tabs open and then I have recipes. (laughs) But you know, your uh, your points... they've been open for a long time. But your points are interesting because we talk about skill but more important is character mm. how 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 what is the character of the person what is the nature of the person and what every interviewer wants to do is to understand that character and nature because that talks about the dynamics in the workplace it talks about how the person approaches work isn't it rather than the actual content and skill itself yeah technical skills you can learn attitude and approach to work discipline mm. and teamwork very hard to train it's intrinsic in the person yeah. Right. Attitude love. Attitude love for sure, right? And there's always this whole debate also of skill versus will, that matrix of where you sit as well. If you're high skill, high will, well, you've hit the jackpot essentially. But if you ask me, would I pick a high skill, low will, or a high will, low skill? High will, Anytime low skill. high will, low skill. Yeah, yeah. And for th- sure. And then the article also, talk, also talk about uh, the question also tests for enthusiasm. Because if a person doesn't seem excited about any of those open browser tabs, that may be a sign that they are like blasé about other things as well in life. So that shows, that shows a lot yeah, of yeah. things, you know. Mm, yeah, 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 I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I mean, it really is more about when you when they ask this question, you should ask a follow-up question. Why do you have so many tabs open? Yeah, you can't just end it with just one question, Correct, like how right. many tabs? Because then you as an interviewer have failed to understand the motivation of the person as well. Well, that's very profound. (laughs) (laughs) But one question for you when you've interviewed people before, Chuang, besides this open tab browser, uh, you you kind of subtly ask without telling, you know, to reveal someone's character before. Yeah, I never talk about the matter at hand. I always just talk about anything else. And just look, I study them. I study them from head to toe. And not just what they say, but how they look while they're saying. So body language and the content of what they say. Does it align? What do their hands do? What do their eyes do? What do their shoulders do? And I read them 
Mm, I yeah. have. I like to ask questions about someone's uh, what they do. Uh, if actually more like if this person is a sports person at, uh, or at all, because I always think that someone who engage in sports and also it depends on what kind of sports it shows discipline um, and also uh, I, I think they can take the hardship. You know, because sometimes it depends on what kind of sports you do. If you're yeah. doing endurance sports, that's a lot of you know you have to be really enduring the pain sometimes. Extending to that point, the other follow up question is very interesting. Is what do you do over the weekends mm. right and if, if that's filled with that kind of sports then it kind of reveals also that person yeah yeah that's true but with sports because it may not be a weekend kind of mm. activity and can be a daily Monday to Friday and, and it shows the, how that person can you know, allocate time and stick to that routine well it goes to show that I can't work in your organisation because <laughs> my core sport is sleeping <laughs> <laughs> you're resting recharging your batteries for Monday morning right sure Okay, 6.14, tell us what you think. What do you look for in job applicants and what do you respond to when people ask of you that question? The Twitter handle is at BFM Radio or the WhatsApp number is at 018-789-8899. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, hot guitar riffs by the Red Hot Chili Peppers with Danny California. Right, this story from The Economist and I think it refers essentially to the Americification of business <laughs> <laughs> because some of these words that we see in corporate lingo, even permeating to the most gina of SMEs. Um, I, I must admit, call a spade a spade, right? Yes. Innovation, collaboration, sustainability, working in silos. I got an email from a, you know, from a friend of mine who heads an SME in Penang, and he was talking about seamlessly integrating workforce cultures. I'm like, hello, you're Gina <laughs> from Penang. Why do you write in that way? I mean, this kind of thing must bug you as well, right? It that totally bugs me. It totally bugs me because it doesn't stand for anything. It doesn't, mean it doesn't anything. provide any clarity. Whatsoever, but I thought about it very long and hard. And if I ran my own business, my goal is to create an innovative, sustainable business that drives purpose in a collaborative and silo breaking manner. I think that's what I'm going to do in my next business. That's what I'm going to do, Chuang, after I leave BFM. I I think you should. I think you should. And I think you should take up sarcasm as a profession because you're very good at it. And I have no idea what that business is. Of course. Oh my God. It's about sustainability and innovation, Chen Li. It's so obvious, isn't it? For goodness sake. How can we solve this? It's it's a disease. It's a malaise. It, it's it's a bacteria that keeps on growing. Because I always based- thought, yeah, you just need to put numbers to it. You yeah. need to have targets. Quantify. You say flexibility. What do you mean by flexibility? Yeah. What's the percentage of your workforce that you're going to allow to work from home? Yes. Right? If you're going to say innovation, how many patterns are you going to produce? If you say it's going to be sustainable, what's your net zero emission targets? Mm. I think the key here is... All these woolly words have to be converted to actual quantified numbers and targets. That's one way forward. And published on their company websites? Yes, maybe, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, why not? Yes, I think so. Show that you made it, yeah. Yeah. The other converse is to say what you are not going to do. Mm. The, The other way, perhaps, I think very interesting is to dissect the distinction between what you will do and what you won't do. For example, I will focus on raising my prices as opposed to building market share. I think that is more powerful than saying I'm going to be relevant in the market. Yeah, I think in, in, in business nowadays, there's a high element of dishonesty because what they say and what they do are miles apart oftentimes. And the bigger the corporation, the more disingenuous their public remarks, right? For example, if you are a property developer and then you say you, be- you believe in sustainability, well, you don't, mate, because you cut down trees. Do you know mm, what I mean, right? Mm, mm. So 
So <laughs> how can you say you're sustainable? Or if you're GLC and then you believe in ESG, but don't forget there's an S element in, in the ESG element yeah. as well. And if you only hire one kind of people of one gender and one race and one religion, you cannot believe in sustainability because you don't so practice I, it. I guess the key point here is not to have one word that is very big and general and also to have more detail yeah. uh, what yeah. you're going to do and what you're yeah. not going to do. So for example, like uh, um, say sustainability, you may say I, I'm against animal testing, uh, something more more detailed and that you can actually see the action. That is very true. And this is the point where there is a very different definition and interpretation of sustainability out there. Like in Malaysia, it's very different from the definitions what we see as globally accepted standards. Mm. Even this whole discussion you were saying, George Chong, about sustainability, people don't necessarily equate it to ESG. They tend to just focus on the E side. Yeah. Right? And also so that's a, a big problem. That's also a G. So if, let's just say in, in a country far, far away from here, right, where there's, um, there's an ESG uh, element and there's a government entity, for example, let's just say there's uh, one, and they say they believe in ESG. But then the, the G is governance, right? Mm. And that GLC or that government entity is a monopoly. So how can you believe in G? Mm. Yeah, right. It, but you know, and, one, and, and mm. that country, which is far, far away from here, has monopolies on everything, like power distribution, like airport management, like uh, <laughs> like defense and military spending. Let's just say hypothetically. Well, right? uh, well, this way, I think we can even have a debate. Is really G about uh, how we make good decision making as opposed to market structure? Well, it's accountability, right? It's about being honest. It's about not yeah. pilfering and having no corruption. But does that preclude you from being a monopoly? That's also a bigger question, also, right? I think for me, the one word that um, may be a little bit more widely used and may not be used correctly is collaboration. Because you see mm. a lot of people, a lot of brands maybe even, they collab with each other. Uh, actually, mainly it's just for profit making. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. Because, you know, how many MOUs have we seen signed yes. without any actual tangible results come yes. through? And, and that's like, a sign of collaboration already it's because it's I put the MOU big, in place. Yeah, the big article <laughs> of ceremony what, about what it. What really finds, I find intriguing is like Gina Pack companies. Right, which are owner run. Let's go because I'm Gina myself, right? And then you've got the owner who is very, very well, in a way, dictatorial, right? What he says goes, nobody make a decision without him, without him. And then on the website, he says, We're a collaborative company. <laughs> <laughs> what? Let, no, me just correct, let me just correct you, Chuang. You're more packed than Gina. Yeah, I think more packed. <laughs> <la. Yeah. laughs> you know the packed. other word I hate? Smart. Yeah. Let's build a smarter business. Good it's Lord. like, oh, you know, for the past whole period, we were just dumb. So can I exhort all people out there to offer solutions to what is essentially a malaise in the corporate world and tell us what your medicine is for this growing bacterium. Right, 6.24 in the morning, we'll come back after this with uh, a song by uh, Brian Adams named Somebody, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, thank you for staying with us on the morning run. I'm Kusu Zhuang with Tan Chen Li and Philip C. That was R.E.M. with Imitation of Life. What is not an imitation of life, though, is our discourse on international stories today. And I'm going to start off with Twitter, right? Because we know that Elon Musk might yet uh, put off this, that deal on hold. He might yet offer a lower price. That's in the public domain. But what is not in the public domain is this viral um, posting that has gone well viral on the internet. And it shows a, a hidden camera um, revealing internal staff of Twitter being stressed about their jobs, 
being uh, completely mm. uh, in, in a rye about the impending ownership change because inherently, according to the Vario Post, Twitter does not believe in free speech. And I'm not going to repeat the words because they're all full, full of profanities, right? But people in Twitter are, are very worried about their jobs because inherently the culture in Twitter just has it that they don't believe in free speech, that they want to control the discourse. And that's what, what Elon Musk is getting himself into. I did see an article uh, two days ago that the current CEO of Twitter, Parag Agarwal, had fired two senior executives, which I think points to the fact that you say there's been a lot of turbulence in Twitter, especially in disquiet over this potential deal that took place. Yeah. And there's dissonance between the leadership, right? And this is quite a stark reminder that these big corporate deals have huge ramifications internally in the organisation. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, as always. And I mean, you're talking about corporate deals, and I can't think about, I can't help but to think about the bankers who are advising Twitter and also uh, Elon Musk because Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan are set to earn a combined fee of $133 million in fees. I mean, I mean, because of my old profession, right? So Small these kind change. of things, no, no, are things that really attracts me. <laughs> <laughs> well, in other words, normal service that because bankers have always been paid outside uh, packages. Yeah, yeah. In relation to what they do, so yeah. Well, staying on the tech theme, I tech theme. Sorry, I saw on Bloomberg that what we are seeing now is that Chinese leadership is beginning to warm towards the tech sector. So Vice Premier Liu He has indicated and shown an unusual public show of support for digital platform companies, suggesting perhaps that be- Beijing may be ready to let up on a year-long clampdown on technology giants. This on this was on the back on a podcast I was recently listening on the Wall Street Journal where what we always saw was President Xi is known to be the chairman of everything where he wants to take control of all aspects of the Chinese government. But what you're seeing emerge is actually uh, many Chinese leadership beginning to show uh, differing views with President Xi and one way to show their difference or their distinction is that they're beginning to show support for the tech ecosystem in China. Uh, as a little bit of a counterpoint to that, I increasingly find it intriguing that um, we read about all these uh, China uh, developments yeah. from uh, from a publication which does not have an office or it has a very small yeah. presence in the country. And I just wonder whether it, the, how accurate they are, how well the sources are placed and and whether it's really true. And I, I say this in the context of, yeah. the, of a lunch meeting I had two days ago, right? And with, with the same said, the same said, Gina Pet SME millionaire from Penang, okay, and he runs the, like a basically a a, a, a PLC. Um, well, he, the group of us, right, and one of them was a was a PLC owner whose market cap is three billion ringgit, right? So he owns about thirty percent of the business. So you can imagine how rich he is, yeah. right? So he talks a lot to his people in China, and the China picture is a very, 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 very sure. different picture yes. from the Wall Street Journal, uh, Bloomberg Economist narrative, which means to say that economic activity in China is booming. People are spending more than they're earning because they're so optimistic about the country. And in terms of the COVID lockdowns, there's only two cities in China which are locked down. The rest of the China is going gangbusters. Well, then explain to me then, why is it that we just saw recently yesterday China macroeconomic data show that retail spending fell by double-digit percent and youth unemployment has hit a two-year high? So I think this is also all the distinction and data differences we have, right? Even not only within these Western publications, because on the same breath, right, yeah. you see Hong Kong considering blocking, blocking Telegram. Mm. Yeah. So th- that is also a big distinction here. So that's the thing. That's, yeah. that's part of the difficulty I have with economic data. Yeah. You're trying to capture all this activity into one number. It's, it's troublesome at best. 
Yeah, but we do. I mean, I guess in the end is who do you trust, right? Yeah. It's going to be the people on the ground. So the only they're going way to deliver what is actual numbers. The only way you can get to the number of the matter is to be there yourself and to see with your own eyes and to cite it like an auditor does. Yeah, but you can't be seeing the overall picture. You're just seeing a small percentage of uh, the the. The study, uh, the, the the subject to be studied, right? Yeah. So it's not going to be a very overview, a so, very good yeah. overview, actually. So at a personal level, I want to go and check out China when borders open and really see for myself what the truth is yeah. about this country. Okay, do bring me along. I want to be there as well. <laughs> okay, um, let's I'm not going to invite you. <laughs> <laughs> but just just a small, uh, a quick news um, because we're talking about tech and also talking about China. Sea um, Limited founder uh, Forrest Lee has eighty percent of his fortune wiped out because of the tech sell-off, the shutdown of his main e-commerce operation in. And also disappointing earnings uh, in the US. So 80 percent of his yeah. wealth. And well, he's eighty percent, twenty percent left. He's still worth not still alive. Yeah. He's still worth billion. four and a half billion dollars, right? Yeah, yeah. four point seven billion actually. Right, six forty-five in the morning. We'll come back after this with one of the coolest bands of current times. Heim with little of your love. BFM eight nine point nine. BFM 89.9, Haim, with a little of your love. Uh, this is BFM's Morning Run with me, Chuang, Phil C and uh, Tan Chen Li. Now, it's time to look at the local news and Philip C, the honour belongs to you. Yes, so what little love I have here is that uh, Pasir Salak MP Tajudin Abdul Rahman is the country's new ambassador to Indonesia. He's confirmed his appointment by saying, it's true. Good Lord, he's the former Prasarana chairman, isn't he? Yes, yes. but the one he's been removed from his post. Yeah, well, he was, yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, very unceremoniously after having botched up the crisis, um, you know, uh, containment or not <laughs> of that LRT crash at KLCC a couple of years ago. What That's do right. we say about these uh, individuals who are appointed as ambassadors? What does it say about us? What does it say about Malaysia? Hmm. I guess that's a bigger question, right? I, I think that's, a, that's firstly the dimension about when someone becomes an ambassador, should they not be from the diplomatic corps? Corp. I think that's, for me, the first question. Versus a politician? Yeah, and secondly is whether or not the person has the capacity to be able to be a bridge between both countries. And thirdly, whether they have you know, the competency, integrity and the right frame of mind to execute this job. So I think it says a lot in my view. Well, what is the role of an ambassador, right? Mm. What is the role of an ambassador? Two mm. things, right? Uh, diplomatic ties and, and trade ties, ch- chiefly speaking. Yep. Um, can can this individual, you know, execute the mandate on both fronts? Yeah. On one front, maybe because they speak maybe the same lingo. On another front, maybe not because what does this person know about the econ- economy? Um, and yeah, of well, course, seems, yeah, what are the polit- political motivations for doing so? Well, to be fair, not only Malaysia, right? We've also seen Indonesia also send ambassadors to other countries, including Malaysia, who are not from the diplomatic uh, core. Uh, they're also businessmen. So this is also, I think, something worth uh, debating about in the future, about what is the role of the ambassador, right? We've seen politicians go to key countries like the United States and such. And does it really help and benefit Malaysia is the broader question. Yeah, okay. Yep. Well, I mean, we've had uh, some rich countries appoint people like Donald Trump. Trump as a president, so after, <laughs> it's not as if... <laughs> well, he was democratically elected, so yeah, that was, was fine. Yeah, Although yeah. people may don't yeah. may not agree with his policy, yeah. at least he was democratically elected. And that's the malaise of democracy sometimes. What else do we have? Okay, moving on to corporate news. So Dagang Exchange has teamed up with a tech, uh, th- so-called tech giant from Taiwan, Honghai Precision, or so-called Foxconn, uh, to build and operate a wafer uh, fabrication plant in Malaysia. So this is pretty interesting because they have just an IMOU with them uh, and it's a JV per, uh, for that and the, the, it will, they're going to build and operate a 12-inch wafer fabrication plant capable of producing 40,000 wafers per month. Well, it's a broader question about the rising uh, semiconductor and demand right globally mm. across the world. It's also the broader
broader question about what you see that people are trying to diversify their supply chain. And perhaps Malaysia is one of the beneficiaries of that. Yeah, of course. Uh, most famously, Foxconn is a major supplier to Apple and all their mm. devices, right? So that's right, I'm not sure exactly which wafers these uh, products uh, yeah, go into. That's also my question because uh, there's also what kind of wafers are these? Because I'm not really familiar as well. You know, are these the lower end or is this the higher end wafers? So, you know, that's always the question. You know, what kind of production is actually being set up here? And I think what's very worthwhile noting is that uh, this is just the current phase one. There's still an opportunity for even further expansion because I think the DNEX group managing the retransfer site, Zana Abidin, had said that there is excess land still in Kulimkada which could fit another wafer plant. That's block. interesting because we also saw how Malaysia is courting Tesla to come and open something here. Uh, I'm not sure whether Malaysia will win this beauty contest with Tesla or Indonesia will get yes, there, but so You're right. I mean, we saw that a couple of days that, ago, right? We saw that a couple of days ago, I think, where, you know, with, in part of the ASEAN-US summit, I think we did see President Joko Widodo head over to visit Elon Musk. And virally, there was a picture of them talking together and I think Elon Musk was having a bit of a chuckle. Yes, correct. And I think, but there, the broader question was about securing nickel source from Indonesia. And I think the debate always has been whether Tesla should get in to, you know, to the point that they had to go into man- mining and production of nickel to be able to secure that supply chain for their batteries. Which then raises the uncomfortable issue of how sustainable are the electric vehicles themselves because you are replacing one fossil fuel, i.e. Mm. natural gas and, and oil, with another, which is lithium-ion and nickel and other Isn't it stuff relative? that comes from the, rel- the earth. Yeah. One more minute left, what else do we have? Uh, I'm also looking at the, well, it was looking at headlines on the newspaper and it says uh, on hand foot mouth disease about how it has increased 15 fold. This is as covered wow, on page lot. six on the star. But but this is based on last year's figure because last year it was locked down and a lot of children are actually not interacting. Okay, from a low other. base. La. It's a very low base. So I was actually trying to dig out some numbers from the past two years and I found in 2018, uh, not exactly the, num- the month, uh, January to July actually, there was 38,000 cases and 2019, January to November, the full year is 47,900 and as of today uh, January to May it has reported to be 31,000 cases so I'm not really sure if this is really a very severe case uh, if you're basing on last year's you know of course it looks like 15 fold but it may not be as bad but of course we're not saying that it's not a small matter but you know we should also still practice hygiene and protect the children okay yeah so parents be aware just in terms of uh, one last uh, news item Petronas Chemicals has bought the Swedish specialty chemicals group per stock for one and a half billion euros that's uh, apparently earning secretive to go by the entire equity interest in um, per stall. Per stop, which means that at 9 o'clock, Phil uh, and, and Jenny will be looking at both uh, Petronas Chemicals and, of course, uh, DNEX. 6.55, we'll come back after this with the, with the news. But before that, Sweet Home Alabama by uh, Leonard Skinner, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.